This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our podcast. We had a great episode for you today. We've got uh, Harry Wilson here with uh, Shine on Signs. Uh, before I get too far in, I want to remind you again, don't be f- afraid to tell a friend or an associate about our podcast. It's a good resource for small business owners and managers trying to muddle their way through all the pitfalls that come along with uh, running a small business. Uh, you can reach me at brian at brianlharding.com. Uh, you can also find us at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. Uh, you can find the links to all of our different different uh, listening platforms there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, as I mentioned, we have Harry Wilson today. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Harry. He graduated from Ball State University with a BS in accounting and an MBA. He worked for 27 years for Schneider Electric, which you might uh, recognize them when you hear their flagship brand, Square D. While with Schneider Electric, uh, Harry held numerous finan- financial leadership positions throughout the United States and even worked in Paris, France for a couple of years. He developed all sorts, uh, all aspects of the business from sales and marketing to research and development, manufacturing to IT. Harry was most attracted to locations that were a turnaround situation where he could help lead those particular operations into profitability. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Harry and his wife, Nancy, were fortunate that they got to move seven times throughout the U.S. during this time. And uh, prior to opening Shine On Signs and Graphics, Harry worked for as a VP of Finance for Micron Industries in Kent, Washington for three years. And I'll tell you a little bit about Shine On Signs. Uh, I, they are owned by Nancy and Harry Wilson, uh, not the Nancy Wilson from Hart, I'm guessing, right? Correct. Uh, Shine On Signs uh, manufacture and sell signs and graphics throughout the Puget Sound area. However, they are proud to have customers from coast to coast. And although they're not a franchise, they have built up a network of, of over 330 other sign companies across the United States and Canada. Shine On Signs produces everything from banners to large illuminated building signs and monument signs. They recently wrapped 500 pod cars for Lime and all the signs for Kitsap's new middle school and high school. This included digital monument signs, building signs, over 600 ADA signs, and a variety of other uh, signs you wouldn't typically find in a school. You can find them at shineonsigns.com or 253-243-7777. So welcome, Harry. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. You mentioned uh, in your in your bio there that you really enjoyed uh, the turnaround situations you were sent to. T- tell me uh, why, why you enjoyed that so much. Well, you're walking into a situation where a company is struggling or a manufacturing plant is struggling, and you get to set a good tone, a good culture in the organization, and then put processes and procedures in place and train the individuals how to use processes and procedures. And you watch a, you know, individuals improve and grow and get stronger in their right. in their personal development. Right, right. So what would you say the uh, the most common thing you had to fix in those turnaround endeavors was? Setting the right tone and the right culture from the top. What do you mean by that? Uh, a lot of times you go in, you got three or four or half a dozen different people having different ideas how to run the company and not everybody is rowing the boat in the same direction right so you got to get everybody rowing together and the best way to do that is to have a common goal common direction sure so what was the process for establishing those common goals i mean i think generally folks you know fall into the revenue and profitability bucket or they they fall into like the culture and and people bucket is there is there any 
way you could uh, to suggest to folks listening how to how to pull that off? Well, the most successful one we had was in uh, Seneca, South Carolina, and remember the first thing the new leader did was we're going to have communication meetings meetings every day every week every month with the entire organization clearly set the tone of what we're after what we're trying to accomplish show them the kpis and then hold everybody accountable to doing that but continually to communicate where we're at right and kpis is is what for the listeners who don't know Key performance indicators. Right, right. It's the three or four key things that are going to drive the business. Right. And I think that's one of the things that folks get kind of lost in is they, they have all these great ideas and they throw out a million different things and pretty soon you got 30 priorities instead of three to four or five or whatever and and nobody's able to keep on top of 30 things. You, you, you got to really focus into the three to five, right? You got to do three to five, you know, a couple per individual per quarter and kill them. Right. Get them done. Right. Right. So as you accomplish one, do you kind of check that off your box and move on to the next one? Or do you always keep the same three to five for three to five years? No, you check it off, but you keep watching it. You right. know, you're not focused on it, but you got to keep monitoring so it doesn't slip out of control. Right. And I think that's where a lot of folks fall off the bandwagon, so to speak, is it's a, it's a hot button issue for a month or two, if that. And then all of a sudden it's we're on to the next greatest and latest thing that's going to solve our problems and we lose sight of the first one. Yeah. We always chase shiny pennies. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 So, um, in, so you started your business how long ago? Shine on science. Uh, we're coming up on the end of year five. Year five. Okay. So in, in, um, starting that business, you mentioned one of the things that was really helpful for you was developing relationships. And it sounds like a lot of these relationships are folks in your industry. Is that right? Correct. It's people that wanted to, were willing to mentor me, to groom me, to share with me their experience, their expertise in the sign industry. Right. So you went from working a, at a uh, very, very large nationwide company to starting your own small business. What, what's that transition been like for you? Uh, pretty good because the sign industry is manufacturing and right. the businesses I came out of were manufacturing. So I could bring a lot of those skills to the new business. Was just new learning the new language and right, right. So the mentors that you met in your industry, what what are some specific things that they had done to help you? Well, Brian, uh, for example, was instrumental in different inter- Brian, not me, not you, <laughs> no, different Brian. Uh, he was instrumental in setting me up and sharing his expertise of how they manufacture and build signs. But more importantly, introduced me to other leaders in the industry, specifically around this marketplace. Right. And then I could tap into their resources and their expertise. Gotcha. Uh, that's yeah. good. Anybody else come to mind? Larry from Grimco was uh, very instrumental. He spent a lot of time coming into our production facility, talked to us about the different types of products and how the different pro- types of products were used, what their applications were. Uh, helped me do a lot of research on new things that we could do. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And you also mentioned that uh, one of your keys to success out of the gate was uh, your willingness to invest. Um, you mentioned you purchased all kinds of extra equipment and uh, on the spot market that allowed you to improve efficiency and things like that. Uh, why, why do you consider that one of your big wins? Well, it has allowed us to increase our capabilities, increase our customer service for our customers. Right. Uh, without having the equipment and those uh, tools readily available we wouldn't have been able to provide the customer service when we needed it. We'd have had to outsource a lot more products. Right. And I think that's something uh, small business folks kind of struggle with in the beginning is is being kind of half pregnant. You know, you're kind of, yeah, we're going to do this, but 
you know, we're going to save all our pennies in case it doesn't work out for plan B. And, and you can't really operate that way, can you? Correct. And we do our, a lot of our own installs. So an example would be not have just one drill and one saw. You got to have one drill and one saw for your installers. And you got to have one drill and one saw for your production facilities. So you can't skimp on those type of tools because then your team becomes inefficient. Right. What was it that, that kind of prompted you to, to take that mindset that you were all in? Oh, that's an excellent question. I think it just came back to the turnaround uh, businesses I was involved with. You had to give people the tools they needed to do their job. Right, right, right. Yeah, you can't have high expectations and, and uh, low support. That is correct. <laughs> uh, and you also mentioned one of your one of your ex- areas of expertise we talked about in the beginning was you know developing cultures and things like that. And you talk about uh, how delegation has been something that has really helped you out. Talk about a little bit about how what your delegation strategy is and, and how that's worked for you. Well, you got to be able to give people the opportunity to do their job. You got to get out of their way. Uh, you got to train them, coach them, show them the processes and procedures, but let them do their job. Right. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that m- at least many of the business owners I talk to struggle with this balance between measuring KPIs and, and keeping people focused and micromanaging. It seems like pe- people fall into one extreme or the other for the most part. And I do too at times. Uh, I get, you know, micromanaging too much, and then i got to back off and let them do their job. Then sometimes I get too far away, and I need to, okay, i got to remind myself. i got to step back in, make sure I'm following and aware of the details of the business. Right. So what, what do you do to kind of what's, – what's kind of your barometer for what micromanaging looks like and feels like when you're managing your folks? Uh, usually I can start seeing people and do their eye roll. <laughs> right, the eye roll. That's a great barometer. And they, uh, you know, okay, Harry, we got it. We got this. We, we're under control. We yeah. know what's going on. Yeah, the, the third got it's usually a, a pretty good indication yeah, that, exactly. that you're, you're overstepping. Yeah, or they'll say, uh, don't you have a sales call to go do? <laughs> right, there's subtle hints that you're in my way. Exactly. So, um, again, l- focusing on the balance between micromanaging and, and taking your hands completely off. You have these KPIs you want to stay on top of. What what's your method for delivering? What's the frequency? How do you, how are you delivering that the results of the measurements you're taking on your KPIs effectively without bombarding people and getting in their way? Well, we have a 15 minute meeting every morning where we do a stretch and flex, mm-hmm. and we talk about some of the key issues in the business at that time. Uh, we talk about our service level, our quality level, or we have any issues in a particular area from a scrap or rework standpoint. Right. And uh, we put up on a board, you know, here are the lessons learned. Here are some of the things that we're seeing that uh, we need to improve upon. Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, that rework stuff later on because I think your strategy with that is an excellent one and, and kind of mirrors what, we, what we've done in, in my company as well as, as far as how to talk about that stuff without kind of clubbing people over the head with it, right? Um, and one of the things I really appreciate about you specifically is, is you're an excellent planner. Uh, just, you know, my interactions with you here and there, I mean, you've obviously done some work for our company, but I I know you from a variety of different places and, uh, uh, planning is something you don't take lightly. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what your planning strategy is? Well, having a finance background, I've always been involved with planning, one year plan or a strategic plan. When we started this business, our mentor said, you have to have an exit plan, you have an exit exit strategy so we put that together and, and that was really looking at things differently right you know what do you want to be when you want to exit the business what do you want it to look like and then from that uh, backwards engineer your five-year three-year and one-year plans right 
And if you've always got an exit strategy in, plan, in place, you're thinking about that, even if it's three years down the road or 10 years or 20 years down the road, what do you want to look like? Then it helps stepping back and doing the five-year and three-year. And then you got to monitor yourself. Are you following those plans? You don't have to stay on them perfectly, but are you in alignment? Because if you're not, you're not going to get to that exit strategy. Right. And so when you say exit strategy, you're talking about retirement. Retirement. So exactly. when you started this business five years ago, you had a, a retirement plan that said you were going to work, you know, I don't know, 15 years or whatever it was, or 20 years, whatever, whatever your number was. Right. And then you had a that as kind of a longer-term goal, and then you, you built in a five-year plan to get you well on your way. Then you built a three-year plan to get on the way to the five-year plan. Then you built a one-year plan to get to the three-year plan. Is that kind of what you mean by reverse engineering? Correct. And the one-year plan is more of a tactical execution of the overall strategy. Your exit plan is I want to retire in... 15 years, I want the business to be worth this much money, and I want to be able to sell it doing this way. Right. It's no more complicated than that. Right. But then you got to put the roadmap or your plans together on how to get there. Because if you don't, you're going to be 15 years down the road, you're going to look and say, well, this isn't what I wanted. Right. It's not right, the right. size I wanted. <clears throat> and what I've, what I've seen with folks is when they get to the point where they're ready to retire is when they start figuring out their exit strategy and their, and their succession plan or their sale plan or whatever it is. And those things, you know, a succession plan. If you're gonna if you're gonna roll the company over to somebody else, whether it's a, a, a child or a niece or nephew or key employees or whatever it is, that's a seven to ten year process. That's not something that happens overnight. And that needs to be part of your five year or three year plan. Right. What is your succession plan? What is that going to look like? Part of your plan is not just selling and making profit. Part of it is that employee development. Right. 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 And you talk about that when you mentioned uh, uh, your cultural handbook. Um, Talk to us about that, because I think this is one of the things that, that folks um, either don't understand or skimp on the implementation. Um, and everybody knows, I mean, when you talk about what a great company is um, for from the employee standpoint and from the leadership standpoint, um, rarely is dollars and cents go to the top of the leaderboard there. It's generally culture and the, you know, the relationships within the company and how symbiotic things are and whatever. But it's not something that people spend a lot of time when they when they roll out their plan. Their their plans are usually dollars and cents, and they kind of leave the culture to figure itself out, which is obviously very counterproductive. So how, how do you overcome that? Uh, you just got to make a priority. We made it a priority. Uh, doing a lot of reading uh, from other business owners and other companies, how do they work to put a culture together? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of time is just people talking about things. Well, we wanted to sit down and put it in writing. Right. And it's not, uh, it's maybe 25 pages. It's okay. not real intense. It's pretty high level. But it sets the tone of what we want to look like and what we want to be. It's kind of like your guiding principles, guiding right. light. And it's something that we talk about as a team all the time. We post parts of it up on our walls and our doors so people can see it. And really trying to set the tone, but keep the tone of the organization. What uh, what do we really want to be from the human aspect of right. the business? So, so what are some spe- uh, specific things that are you, you include in that uh, handbook? Well, you know, we include the you know the vision, the mission statement, which are pretty classical type of stuff. We right. talk about our core values. Uh, we talk about goals for both the business and for the individuals. What we want to achieve from that. We talk about that systems run the business. Right. And how do you put systems in place and how do you 
monitor systems and how you improve upon systems, but systems run the, the business. And if you don't have good systems, then you get a lot more errors and a lot more reworks. Sure. Uh, we spend a, a little bit of time talking about our safety. Safety is number one in our company, and we take it very serious. We talk about it all the time. Uh, we do safety training. We use the L&I safety modules, and we teach off of that, and we talk about it every, three times a week. Right. Uh, we talk about our communication styles. We talk about 5S, which is cleaning and making sure everything has a home and everything is in its home. Right. Uh, we talk about different lean principles and Six Sigma type stuff. Yeah, and so for those uh, those people listening who don't know what that stuff means, we're talking lean manufacturing stuff here. We're talking Kaizen and Kanban and all those kind of things you learn from the the old dimming uh, uh, philosophies and things like that, which most folks, again, would say, well, that doesn't really apply to my business, but uh, I would argue those things apply to just about everything. It does. It yeah. does. You can even uh, take it so far to put it in your home and right. do things for your house. Right, right. So <clears throat> let's spend a little bit of time on this because I think this is, again, this is something that folks who, who don't know just don't know, and there's a lot of value to this stuff. So, so let's start with a vision statement. What, what is a vision statement versus a mission statement, and how, do you, how did you go about developing those for your company? Well, the, um, the mission statement in particular, we spent time with our team early on uh, to getting their ideas and it really grew about what we wanted to be, what we saw in the marketplace from a customer service standpoint and what other great companies look like, mm-hmm. manufacturing companies, and put those in the, you know, put those in words, the four or five line items that says, here's what we want to be from a quality aspect, here's mm-hmm. what we want to be from a customer service aspect, and right. here's what we want to be from a, a leadership communication standpoint. Right. But we got the team involved early on to, to set those so, so how many employees do you have now? Uh, seven. Seven. So how many employees did you have when you put this stuff into place, would you say? Two. Two. And so uh, you wouldn't recommend that it sounds like doing this, you know, when it was just you and your wife, you wouldn't have recommended doing this just the two of you, or would you? I would. It, you could start with that. Uh, we had some of the basic principles in our mind. We just hadn't written them down. Right. So by involving the others on the team, it forced us to write them down. Sure, sure. And then the vision statement, What's how is that different from a mission statement? So a mission statement says, here's what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, more or less, right? right. What's a vision statement say for you? Uh, it's just very high level, here's who we are. Right. And it's usually like a sentence or two and just it's says, one sentence, yeah, yeah, one sentence. And yeah. I think I think uh, uh, different folks I've talked to who are coaches in creating this and they kind of go through all the reasons why you do this. Uh, I think some folks, their goal is five words. It's pretty pretty short and sweet to the point, and, and uh, like you said, very high level. Then you kind of get into the mission statement a little more depth of how we're going to do it and what our what our goals are going to be to achieve this vision. And then from there, you develop all your strategies and tactics to put that stuff in place, exactly. and that's where all your processes and systems come into place. And then uh, in, in between there, you got your core values. You know, here's here's the things that we're not going to bend on, right? Correct. And how how'd you come up with those? Same thing, just brainstorming with your, with your team? Uh, same thing, but it's also from being in the manufacturing industry for 30 years. You know, right. Safety is number one. Right. That's core value, and it's the number one core value. It's the biggest font yep. in bold, and we don't deviate from that. Right. If an employee feels uncomfortable from a safety standpoint doing something, they do not do it. If they're out on the job site and somebody's telling them to do something and they don't feel comfortable from a safety standpoint – they don't do it. Right. And uh, we don't deviate from that. Right. That's good. What other kind of things did you, I mean, without sharing your, your entire list, what, what are the other kind of things you considered when making that list? Customer service and quality. 
um, pretty much in our core values, and then the fourth one is uh, communication. Right. The values. Right. And I think that's what that the communication one is, again, something that I think that folks, um, at least my experience as a consumer, <laughs> it, this is something that people drop the ball on all the time. And they don't, I don't think people give it the proper amount of weight in crafting their systems and their business. Uh, they focus on the widget, and sometimes they focus on safety, and sometimes they focus on, focus on profit, profit, excuse me, profitability and things like that. They kind of shy away from the communication stuff, but the communication thing is is absolutely key if you're going to start a business from scratch and grow it. You know, that's the area you can, in my mind, that's like the low-hanging fruit that you can beat everybody else on because everybody else sucks at it. Yeah, it's probably uh, number two, and it's probably the hardest one, the most vague one, and it's hard to quantify and put down on paper. Hey, you get yeah. one, you get a two. Right. Uh, it's very, very difficult. You know what it looks like when it's wrong. Right. Uh, but it's very hard to tell what it looks like when it's great. Right. And so a lot of your stuff is, is uh, you know, systems and processes and procedures and lean thinking and 5S. And um, again, my background going back, you know, 20-something years now is a lot in that area. And um, in fact, I ordered a book on Amazon the other day called Quality is Free, which I think was published in 1979. And it was my very first book I, I got and was ordered to read from my, my boss who promoted me into the process improvement role I was in. And um, I ordered it the other day just because I kind of wanted, I remember some of the stuff in there, but I kind of vaguely remember it. And, uh, it, you know, people think that these lean manufacturing things only apply to um, manufacturing, but they're, they're pretty universal. I mean, they're, they're, they're great things to put in place for all kinds of different businesses. You know, first of all, you can't, you can't know if you're successful or not unless you measure. Correct. And if you don't know what you're measuring, you don't know what your KPIs are to measure, you're just kind of measuring for the fun of measuring, which doesn't really get you anywhere. But um, what tell, talk us through or walk us through your experience and what this has been for you and why, why this is important to you. Why is this a quarter of your handbook or whatever? Well, I can go back to one example. At, uh, when I worked for Schneider Electric, uh, we spent thousands of man hours every year putting together a business plan. Mm-hmm. And it was the most unlean business process that uh, you, you could ever think of. Right. So I took it on as a black belt project to lean a forecasting process, a business planning process, which no one would ever think to do. Right. And we cut out about 10,000 hours, months out of the cycle, and delivered a, a lot better product in the end. Right. So you can use these techniques for both manufacturing, non-manufacturing roles. You can do it for design. Uh, all of our designs, we have standard design templates, so you can just basically check the box right and it helps to eliminate errors and people guessing right so the the end goal is to improve efficiency and improve quality and for those listening that that equates to, do- to dollars and that is correct <laughs> i would so, say it's improve quality first right and, and then uh it speeds up and makes you more efficient right and so uh for the folks listening who are you know what, what, what why would i be interested in this kind of stuff that is is not in it for, you know, what's in it for me uh, dollars, lots of them. You know, if you eliminate ten thousand man hours from a from a project or a rollout plan, that's that's a substantial that's amount a of money. Significant money, yeah. <laughs> and if you're even if you're only a four person operation, like when you and your wife had two employees, um, if you cut out six hours on a project, that's that's significant at that stage. When you think about how much time you can save yourself personally, you don't have to get involved with a customer that's upset. Right. You don't have to do rework. You can be out selling. Uh, or you can be out fishing. Right. So you free up a bunch of your time. <laughs> right, 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 doing. right. So along the way, not everything has been sunshine and unicorns for you. 
um, you've had some blunders, and some of, and some of the things you've struggled with are things I can completely relate to. Internet, internet marketing, for one, um, you mentioned that uh, um, internet marketing has not always gone according to plan. Talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Well, we started out with one website, uh, put it in place. It was uh, recommended to us to use this particular company. Probably didn't vet them out as well as we should have. Uh, there was a foreign entity that uh, hijacked the, comp- the website. It took us down for weeks and months, and we had wow. to trash it and start all over. So, yeah, the whole Internet marketing website development has been was a big, big struggle. Yeah. I think we went through um, – five websites in five years or maybe six websites in five years and uh same thing we 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 didn't vet anybody they they came and said here's what we're going to do we believed them all until you know the last one we were kind of like, yeah whatever uh you know you're you're full of crap we're not, we're not but we but we you know what choice do we have we have to have we have to have internet marketing because that's where all the marketing is just you know like 30 years ago you wouldn't have considered not being in the phone book um but it seems like our struggle was was uh, a lot about not vetting folks and desperately wanting to believe what they were saying was true and letting that desperation and that hope supersede logic. <laughs> Correct. Did and, you, we, you know, we talked to some other sign companies that had used them, but did we really get into the nuts and bolts of how it was working and what was making them successful? Probably not. Right. So having gone through what you did with the internet marketing and you went through multiple different, uh, oh, and, and one of the things, my, my, one of my favorite things about uh, our experience was every time we switched marketing companies, our website was complete crap and they had to start over with. Exactly. <laughs> you know, well, I can't believe they even that, that website's not even functional. I can't use that. We got, here's another, you know, $5,000 to build a new website. And, and then eight months later, we're throwing that one away and we're building another one. And it just, um, anyhow, ha- after having gone through what you did and you the disasters you mentioned, um, what are some, what are some, what's some advice you would give folks who are, who are struggling with their marketing, online marketing and things like that now? Really vet, really vet. Talk to a bunch of people, talk to a bunch of their existing customers, uh, train yourself, learn a little bit about what websites should look like. Uh, I understand a little bit about WordPress and Devi themes and some mm-hmm. of that stuff today, but you need to educate yourself a little bit on, on websites and how they work. I think the other thing is you got to understand, are you a B2B company or a B2C company? Right. Because I think the whole internet marketing strategies are completely different. I right. find a lot of people willing to help you, but they understand B2C. Yeah, which is business to consumer. Correct. And Sorry. B2B is business to business, right? Correct. And we're a B2B company, business to business. And I don't think a lot of uh, marketing companies, smaller marketing companies, understand that and understand how to help you there. Right. So, I think they barely understand the B2C. I kind of feel like they just, <laughs> you know, throw throw some stuff on a page and say, here's your website and we hope for the best. And, 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 and they, it seemed, again, in my experience, they all give you a different answer. You know, some say you got to blog every day. Some say you don't ever do that. And, you know, what, what's your, what's your, have you had similar experience with that? Uh, yeah, exactly the same. And we have two websites today. We have one that's managed by a marketing firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do not blog. Uh, but they drive a lot of traffic. Uh, they do some AdWords, but not a lot. Right. But they drive a lot of traffic with whatever strategies they're using. We have another website that's dependent on blogging and social media content, and mm-hmm. we do all that. It doesn't drive as much traffic as the first website. Um, I don't know that you need to be blogging as much. Right. Um, and you mentioned the social media aspect. So I, you know, I, as soon as everybody kind of sort of thought they got Google figured out, 
along comes Facebook and, and all these other things, and now it's a completely new wrinkle, and, and everybody's kind of starting over again with that whole, all, that whole scenario. Right, but one of the things that we learned is with social media, it's all about driving Google and making Google think you're bigger and better and more relevant. Right. So we use all of our social media strategy is all about driving Google awareness and making sure Google thinks we're have a, a lot deal. of authority. Right. Yeah, you're a big deal as far if you're a big deal as far as Google's concerned, then you're you're hitting on the right Correct. path, right? Yep. <laughs> and then so what about other kind of IT stuff? So you got the internet SEO marketing, all that kind of stuff. How did that or did that translate into your IT uh, woes that you were having as well? No, we had uh, you know, not spending enough time on the whole IT system. Do we want to have our own file server? Do we want to have a remote file server? Do we want to be cloud-based or not cloud-based? So we went through some growing pains to try to figure that out. Right. Uh, we finally set it on a model where all of our platforms are cloud-based, and we do have a file server where it's being backed up automatically to three different websites on the cloud. Right. And we store all of our artwork on the server, but everything now is cloud-based. Yeah. And, uh, we have a company that monitors and makes sure our server is healthy and is not dying on us. Right, which happens every 2.7 years, according to my calculations. <laughs> You're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, you mentioned also trying new things was a bit of a, a struggle, but you say, listen, we like to try new things, but, but sometimes those not always working out great. How, what, how do you know if you should try something or not? We love trying new things. Uh, we love experimenting with stuff. Uh, we try, love trying to help customers solve their problems by doing new things. Right. Uh, uh, I'll probably continue to do new things. Right. But the biggest thing is we got to make sure the team is prepared and the team is trained and knowledgeable of what we're doing and how we're doing it. It's one thing for me to take a job and say, yes, we can do this, and we actually sell it. But if they're not prepared for it, um, we're going to struggle. Right. And that preparedness is, uh, a lot of times, is they can watch YouTube videos. They can listen to you explain how things are. But until they put hand on the vinyl or hand on the product and actually do the installation or make it, right. they're going to struggle. So we find ourselves now part of our process of a new uh, project or a new, um, a new thing is Actually printing the material and letting someone physically put it on a wall and test it and try it and learn from real live experience. Right, right, right. So when you do that stuff, do you just chalk that up to R&D or, do, or, do you, or are you always looking for new kind of um, niches in your business? Or, or is this just like, hey, we just want to take care of the customer and that's what we're doing? Or kind of what's your mindset when you take this stuff on? Do I think it's going to have a long-term profitability play? Right. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, is it going to help position us in the marketplace to be different than other sign companies? Right. Uh, we take careful consideration of that. Right. Uh, and is it something that really it'll stretch us, but it's not completely outside of the, what we can do? Right. Yeah. So if it's not completely outside your comfort zone and you learn a little bit of stuff, that's okay. And if you're being innovative and forward thinking all that stuff, that's you know that's good for everybody, right? Right. And and people recognize that. Right. So let's talk about uh, um, uh, developing your folks. So, again, this is kind of something I, f- I feel like is really in, in your wheelhouse here. Um, you start out with just you and, and another person, right? Correct. And he was kind of the, the jack of all trades, right? Correct. How, how did that? So what, what, what prompted you to even start thinking about this people development aspect? Well, again, it goes back to what our exit strategy was, where, how fast that we wanted to grow the business. 
and at the speed at which we wanted to grow the business, is a one-person jack-of-all-trades going to be able to keep up with that demand? Right. Uh, we didn't have the volume when we first started to have specialists, you know, have an installer, have someone in production, have someone in design, have a production manager. So we had to ramp up the volume very quickly. Right. But we had to start with somebody that understood all of those different skills, different uh, techniques. Right. Uh, so we started out with him. But then once we started growing and getting the volume that we could have specialists, then his skill set didn't align perfectly with the longer term vision. Right. So uh, as you're as you're developing these folks, what are the strategies you put in place? So you you hire Johnny and you want to make him your your installer or your production guy or whatever. What are the strategies you put in place to to really develop his skills in that specialty? So uh, it depends on the individual and their past experience. Um, we have found folks with a lot of experience in the sign industry specifically. They come from organizations that don't have a lot of processes and controls and procedures in place. They right. don't have that kind of culture uh, of customer service and quality. So a lot of our training and development is focused on those skills. It's right. not so much the technical skills. It's more on the soft skills of how to do things. Now that we've grown, we're able to go find people that have more of the soft skills. Mm -hmm. They have the work ethic that we're looking for, right. have the customer service ethic that we're looking for. So now we can stop. Uh, we don't train as much on that. We train more on the technical skills. Here's how to do uh, installation on a vehicle wrap, for example. Right. And for anybody who's listened to this podcast for more than two or three episodes heard, heard me say this 500 times probably, uh, it, it it almost is, um, well, it's frustrating for me, and, and it's kind of ironic and laughable in a sense also. When I talk to folks about, you know, desperately needing to hire good people, they always talk about what are the skills they're looking for. I need five years' experience. I need six months' experience, whatever it is. And I always say, well, how long does it take to teach to do this job? You know, three months. Okay, well, how long does it take to teach, take to teach somebody work ethic or showing to work, up to work on time or caring or, I mean, how— how long does it take to teach that stuff? Well, the answer is forever and never. You could never possibly teach that stuff, and you could spend forever trying. And I always come back and say, well, then, okay, if it takes three months to, te to teach this task or this job, and you can't ever teach this other stuff, why are you focus on the experience of the task you can teach in three months and you're not focused on the, on the soft skills that, that you can never teach? And, right. and um, it, I always find it curious to look to come on their face, like, like the, the giant light bulb where their head was kind of screwed in and, and uh, but we, we all kind of fall in that trap. I need somebody right now and I don't have time to train them. Meanwhile, you're going to spend six months training the wrong person because you're going to cycle through three people to find the one. That's correct. Yeah. And which we've done. Sure. Yeah, we've all done it. Right. I mean, if you've if you've had more than one employee, <laughs> chances are you've fallen in that trap. Right. Correct. <laughs> so what do you do um, when you're looking for folks and how do you how do you go find somebody who's got "Quote unquote soft skills." I mean, what what do, what do you what are the things you look for when you're hiring to identify that? Well, we use behavioral interviewing techniques when we go through the interview process, and we specifically focus on the last two individuals we hired. We specifically focused on customer service type skills, mm -hmm. communication type skills, uh, and examples where they were put in uh, semi-stressful situations, but they took a an active role to solve the problem, so problem-solving techniques. Right. So we ask a lot of behavioral-type interviewing questions on those attributes. The last two individuals didn't even talk to them about technical sign-making skills. Right. Right. Yeah, I hear you there. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that I think that's a great approach also. 
Um, and one of the things we mentioned earlier that we I, I promised we'd come back to, because I think the way you do this is pretty cool, um, talking about rework and scrap and stuff like that, uh, you have a, a, a learning center where all this stuff goes into for your folks to see, and it's public, right? It's not like you're hiding in the corner. It's it's out there for everybody to see. Kind of walk us through what that looks like. Right by the break room. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you put it there, and we've got a marker board where we uh, write up on the marker board the job, uh, the job number, the customer name, and what part of the business process broke. Right. And then, you know, when the pile starts to get a little bit big, we spend a little more time talking about the pile, and we really focus in what is the process that broke. It's either we didn't have a process uh, that we need to put in place. Okay, who's going to put that process in place and right. train everybody? Right. Or it was a process and it was the wrong process, so we got to fix it. Or we had a process in place and someone didn't follow it. Right. Uh, and they didn't follow it for two reasons. Uh, they weren't trained, so that's my responsibility, so mm-hmm. i got to go train them. Or they choose chose for whatever reason not to follow it. If they didn't follow it for safety, that's my problem. i got to fix that. If right. they chose not to follow it because they didn't want to follow it, then we got to go find another employee. Right. Uh, but it all starts about the process. Did the process fail? So I think this is one of the key things for, for folks listening. Again, I think um, as employers, it's this balance of, you know, we want to we hold people accountable and we want to improve, but we don't want to rub their nose in it. We don't want to make them feel bad. And we kind of have this balance. Well, they, you know, you have a great solution here that, the, the solution is identifying the, the process that failed, not the person that failed. Right. Unless you have, like you said, the person who's just not going to follow your instructions and not follow your processes, then you got to deal with that. But, you know, I don't know, 80% of the time it's probably the process, not the person. Yeah, probably 95. 95? Yeah. Right. So if we can if we can identify what the what the process was that failed and put the blame on that, so to speak, it lessens the uh, humiliation or whatever you want to call it for the person who was involved. And we just say, listen, here was the process that broke down or it wasn't in place. Let's fix the process and move on, and this won't happen again. Correct. And, and it's more of a positive for the employee. Right. Uh, then they can step back and see what they need to learn and get a, uh, approve upon. And then they also have a voice in fixing the process right. or putting a new process in right. place. Yeah, and if you want to have something really take hold with your employees, let them design the, the solution. Correct. If you let them design it, they're, they're going to be a whole lot more likely to do it than if you do it and then just start handing out orders. Well, they know the process and how it should work anyway. Right. More than I do. Right, 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 right. And, I, and again, I think that's something that folks struggle with is I'm the owner, I'm the boss, therefore I know. And uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's maybe reality when you're, you know, a year in, but that's not the reality of three years in, five years in, whatever. Correct. That, that uh, quickly dissipates where you're the expert. <laughs> As you begin focusing on other things, they get to know the job a whole lot better than you do and, you know, tap into that. And you know, that's a great resource to help fix problems. And again, if you want them to, to adhere to the solution, let them create the solution. Correct. Right. Um, and you mentioned uh, the polka yoke. I haven't heard that term in forever. So why don't you tell everybody what a polka yoke is? Polka yoke to me is putting, uh, mechanically putting things in place so something doesn't go wrong. We have a plotter that cuts vinyl. And if you put the pin that cuts the vinyl in the wrong slot, it will cut it wrong. Right. So we poke yoke that that pin can only go in the correct slot every time. You right. cannot physically put it in the wrong slot. Right. That's poke yoke. It's a, a way to mechanically eliminate an opportunity for an error. Right. And what other kind of things? I mean, a, a, a mechanical thing like a pin in a in a cutter that that's that's you know that's pretty easy to wrap your head around. What other kind of things for for folks listening who aren't in the sign business? What other kind of things could you poke a yoke that folks wouldn't ordinarily think about? Uh, you can poke yoke in an Excel spreadsheet. 
Right. You put uh, security on it, block out cells, block out formulas, so people can't overwrite a formula. Right. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, you can do things on uh, – um, I had an example in my head, and I just lost it, but – um, it, my point is it doesn't have to be something that's mechanical. It can be electronic. It can be um, a way you answer your phone. I mean, you can, you can set up your phone systems in different ways to only allow certain things. And, and um, those kind of things, when you find that you have repetitive errors in the same department or the same process, again, uh, if you can find a way to, to make it foolproof, then do that. You know, why not? Why, why spend the same same time training somebody over and over and over hey don't forget this rather than just let's make it so you can't forget it now right? our printer is such that you have to enter the part number of the media that you're going to print on mm-hmm. and when we send the art file to the printer if those two medias don't line up the printer doesn't print nice so. yeah that's fantastic and that spreadsheet that was a great example again of, of things that aren't mechanical and aren't manufacturing that you could certainly do um one of the things that we, you know people hear about all the time is uh, you need to be working on your business, not in your business. And it kind of sounds like you've had some success with that. What, what, do you, what does that mean to you when you hear that? And, and how have you applied that to your, your uh, strategy and your, your tactics and things like that? Well, still trying to get better at it. I still think I spend too much time in the business, not on the business. And what it means to me is in the business is, so for example, this morning before coming over here, I spent all morning putting quotes together. Right. Uh, I can have other folks put quotes together. Right. Uh, that's to me being in the business. Right. Uh, being on the business would be looking at our strategies, our plans. Are we following the, the plan? Are we following the procedures? Am I out interacting with the employees, uh, making sure everything's good with them, uh, making sure that we are doing the safety kind of stuff. Right. Um, to me, those are on the business type activities. So the measuring the KPIs and implementing changes and that kind of stuff, that's on the business, not in the business. In the business is doing a task Correct. that you would hire somebody to do. On the business is more measuring results and strategizing and things like that. Correct. And following the KPIs is in the business would be putting together the reports that generate the KPI. On the business would be analyzing, looking at the KPIs, looking at reports someone else has generated, uh, looking at that information, and are we on track or are there warning signs with that? Right. So for a person who owns a business who's still the primary salesperson, what's that? What's the defining, how would you know if you're in the business versus on the business, if you're the one who's responsible for bringing all the revenue in? Well, you got to get out there and spend a lot of time selling. Right. Uh, and I think it goes back to your overall goals and aspirations and how you want to grow the company. Uh, you got to get an, enough volume in there to pay all the bills. Right. But at some point, if your exit strategy and plan says that you want to be $5 million business, you're going to have to hire some salespeople to help you. Right. So when you find yourself, all you're doing is selling activities and relationship activities, you're not spending enough time on the, on the business and developing people, you need to go find another salesperson. Right. Right. And then, and then, uh, I, I think one of the things that I've seen people do is they jump to that hiring the salesperson too fast. You need to be the salesperson before you can hire a salesperson because you can't manage a salesperson unless you've been a salesperson. And you can't know in your industry and your company what the expectations are until you've done the job yourself. But once you kind of have that down, you've done it for a year or whatever, then absolutely go hire a salesperson and, and uh, set up the KPIs and set the, the expectations and all that kind of stuff and, and let them perform, you know. Exactly. And then you can you're you're free to start working on some other stuff. That, that's you know that's kind of the path I see anyway for when when you're 
uh, when you're in a business where the owner is a salesperson, you have to find a way to shift gears on that. Otherwise, you're never free. You're never, you're never free. You're never going to hand it off to anybody. And you're never going to get to that that revenue and profit that you're expecting, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the road. Right, 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 right. Um, so you say you've tried some things like blocking out time in the morning to, to focus on, on the business. Um, that didn't work. You ended up answering the phone. Um, you tried to, to make, you know, time to work from home and things like that. That didn't really work. T- talk to us about these things you've tried and why they haven't worked and some that have, if there are any. Well, you know, self-reflection, I think the reason they haven't worked is because I always let being in the business getting away. Right. Uh, always made it not the priority. Always let it be an excuse. So uh, I step back and uh, kind of lean my process. Uh, it's me getting in the way of doing those kind of things. Right. So I got to pretty much stop talking about doing them and yeah. actually go do them and rely on, you know, now we have a salesperson, rely on them to go ahead and do those selling activities. Right. Do you, do you find that, uh, for me, I find that it's uh, it's a trust thing. And I still kind of have this belief in the back of my mind that if I'm not doing it, something's going to get missed and something's going to fall through the cracks. It wouldn't be, the follow-up wouldn't be what I wanted it to be or, you know, I, the sale wouldn't be what I wanted it to be. Do you, do you find yourself on that trap or is that just me? No, that I, I don't have that uh, trust issue. Uh, that's why, I, you know, we have employees and I kind of turn everything over to them. So right. it's not a trust issue. I like putting quotes together. I like going out and I didn't think I'd ever say this. I, I kind of like the sales process. I like going out and doing the site surveys, building relationships, uh, putting the quotes together is kind of like solving a problem. Right. So there's an enjoyment there. And then there's an enjoyment of, Hey, we won this one. Right. Uh, you get some pretty quick satisfaction of that. The own the business. It's you by yourself. And you know, there's not a lot of patting on the back. Yeah. You know, unless it's yourself. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so it's not so much a trust issue with me. It's just a priority issue. Right, right, right. Which is a complete different uh, uh, position than when you first started up. When you first started up, you were focused on getting the building and getting the equipment, all that kind of stuff, and you needed to be out making sales. And then at that time, it was harder for you to get out and make sales because you were focused on the, the internal stuff, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of funny how that's kind of come full circle. Um, you say when you, when, you, uh, when you coach new signed uh, manufacturing company owners – you coach them up on a couple of things. One is to find a good production person with the right attitude. And we kind of talk about the soft skills and things yeah, like that. And, uh, and I agree with that hundred percent. You, if, if you have, if you can't find somebody to do, make the widget, then you're stuck forever. You're, you're never going to get out of it. Um, and then, you know, like you say, get off your asset and go sell. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and if you if you're in doubt of what to do with your time at that point, get off your asset and go build a relationship, right? Correct. If you find yourself sitting around not wondering where you should be spending your time, go out and go, go out and sell, sell something. Yeah, yeah, go out and sell something. Make a phone call, talk to somebody, go take them a call. You know, go have coffee, but right. get off your asset. Yeah. So in the beginning, people get hung up on, you know, getting tied to the the manufacturing of the widget, whether it's a, a product or service. You're still manufacturing a widget either way. People get hung up on doing that instead of going out selling because selling is scary and rejection and all that stuff that nobody likes. And then once you get good at selling, then you don't want to turn that over to anybody because now you like selling and uh, and now you're stuck in that rut. You got to go on to the next level. So what what is the next level? You've got you've conquered manufacturing, you've conquered sales. What's next? Well, I don't think I've conquered anything yet, so we're still conquering. Uh, but I think what's next is get our sales staff really trained up to take more of that responsibility off 
Right. Uh, so they can be out building the relationships and doing the more of the sales activities. Right. And, uh, you know, continue to develop the team so they can take on more and more of the responsibility. You know, a year from now, they should be putting together a business plan for the company for the next year. It shouldn't be me and then me saying from here on. Here from the high mountain, here's what we're going to do. It should be them putting a plan together. Hey, we know based on the mission, here's where the company wants to go. And here's the employees. Here's how the plan should be put together. Right. Um, so I think we're probably a year, year and a half away from them taking on more of that responsibility and accountability. Right. Which is, a, I think, for so for folks listening who own small businesses, that's a, that's a, they're probably in shock to hear you say that because that's not something that people commonly say that, you know, six years in, I want my employees to be developing the plan, not me. That takes a tremendous amount of coaching, mentoring, educating, uh, you know, really getting your people ready for that. You, you couldn't just hire a production manager and six months later they're doing that. That you, You've obviously taken a tremendous amount of time to invest in these folks to get them to the point where that's your right. hope or expectation. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good thing for people listening to hear is, is, listen, six years in, I want my employees to be making the plan. I want them to be telling us what the expectations are and what the goals are and things like that. that uh, that's a, I think that's a fantastic goal to have because that will prompt you then to invest the time in teaching and the co- coaching and mentoring, all that kind of stuff. If you didn't have that mindset, you would probably never get there. Correct. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so you mentioned some things you still don't do well uh, following up on customer requests. Uh, you say you get the quote back then pretty quickly, but then you're right on to the next quote. And... Uh, and that one kind of fades away, which I think is a pretty common sales error. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to, it, you know, it's, that's the fear of rejection. Right. You know, I'm making that follow-up call. Hey, did you get the quote? Yes. You want to move forward? No. No, I don't want to. No, somebody else yeah. did it for 50, bu- 50 bucks cheaper. Yeah. 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 We yeah. hear that from time to time. Right, yeah. right. Is, is pricing a big deal in your world? Uh, I think education of pricing is the big deal. Yeah. Um, we quoted a project Friday, I got feedback today. They want to go with a different sign company. So I started probing and asking questions. And the other solution they had was completely different than my solution. Right. So it's educating the customer on what they're getting with the two different solutions. Um, and they may choose to go with the other solution as a fine solution. Uh, it wasn't the one that we were recommending. So mm-hmm. the customer is just looking at a price point and not understanding the details behind it. Right. Once she understands the details behind it, then she's going to be educated. So right. she may or may not make a different decision, but at least we've educated her on what she should be looking out for. Sure. And I think that's something that's pretty universal across the board for any industry is people see dollars, they make a decision based on dollars unless they have a reason not to. And it's our job as salespeople to give them the reason not to Correct. really get really fill them in. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, you're still learning that no order is a dead order. Yeah, I should, uh, every time we sell a project or sell something, you know, ask them to refer us to their friends or family or business acquaintance. Right. Uh, so that order should lead to another order. And uh, we're, we, I'm not real good at that. Yeah. Uh, so it's continual learning. Right, yeah. right, right. And, and again, if that's something that if you don't put out there as being your expectation for yourself or your staff or the goal, you'll never hit it. It's got to be something you're you're talking about. Got to be something you're coaching your people upon, coaching yourself upon. Coaching myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then asking for feedback, of course. Again, w- nobody likes that rejection. Um, asking for feedback when you don't get it. You know, what what are what are some of the things that you've learned from getting that feedback? Well, it uh, helps us focus on educating the customer. You know, just don't send a quote out 
have a conversation with the customer. Here's what our quote entails. Here's what's all involved. Uh, we provide a lot more information on our quotes when we mm-hmm. send them out. Uh, on the bigger projects, we like to have face-to-face. Right. Communicate. Here's what we're delivering. Here's what you can expect from us. Um, with our particular project, um, and a lot of education, yeah. a lot of education. Right. Um, you've, have you fallen in the trap where, where in the beginning you take on everything, you take on things you shouldn't have, and you find out six months later that was really, really silly for us to take on these things? It kind of seems like a, a common mistake folks make is in the beginning you're so desperate for work you'll take anything, and then you you slowly learn that you have you have good customers and you have good orders and you have bad customers and bad orders. Uh, I look at it a little bit differently. I think for the first year we took on everything. Right. Uh, whether it was good or bad, because I had to do a lot of learning. I had to learn a lot about the industry and the products and stuff. And there's no better way, although it can be expensive, is to learn from actually doing things. Right. Uh, putting the research into it. Plus, you also need to get some business in. Yeah. So we took on a lot, a lot of stuff the first year or plus. Um, but we're getting a lot better now at... We had a request today, and I was like, no, we're not doing this one. You know, right. let's, let's take a pass and refer to them, you know, them to another sign company. Right. Uh, they, they, they would do a better job than we can do. Yeah, I think that's something else that, that is critical for folks to get in, in the reluctant to, getting involved with people in your own industry, because you all have your niches that you're good at, and if you if you get that call and you can hand it off to somebody and they do a great job and it's, a, it's a, you know, something they're going to do better than you, Acknowledging that to the people being honest and transparent, saying, "Hey, they're going to do this job much better than us," uh, folks will remember that. You never know when they might might have a need for something you can excel at. And they might call you and you know, and, and not even go to Google and, and and because they had a good experience with you, where you were just completely honest with them and you handed them off to somebody who took care of them. I think that's uh, again, I think that's something. Just you know, business owners in general are so protective of their customers. It cost me, you know, one hundred forty-seven dollars to get this lead. I'm not going to just give it away. But that, that's kind of the mindset that hurts people. I think. Yeah, there's times where other people can do it better. Right. Let him do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Harry, I sure appreciate you coming in. Uh, you're you're a super fascinating guy. I really trust and and uh, are, are alike and and respect the heck out of you. Uh, you've got a tremendous amount of knowledge, and I really thank you for coming on and sharing that with our folks. Uh, I hope you had a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. You're you're, you're you seem more comfortable than you you were an hour and five minutes ago. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, so for those of you uh, those of you listening uh, that might need a sign one day, you can find Harry with Shine On Signs at shineonsigns.com. Again, two five three two four three seven 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 seven. Next week, we're going to have on Mike Sloan to talk about the benefits of key man insurance and a captive insurance company. And if you don't know what those things are, both of those things, uh, make sure you tune in. It could save you a ton of money and help you keep some key employees. Uh, so thanks, you all, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks again, Harry, for coming in. Thanks, Brian.